Hello and welcome to Rookie Movie Reviews. I'm Dan. I'm Jenny. And today we watched another Hitchcock movie. What did we watch this week, Dan? We watched uh, North by Northwest, which came out in 1959. And how would you rate it? Well, I would have to say it's one of the best 100 movies of all time. My gosh. If I were forced to pick. I'm also kind of curious. So this came out in 59. Yep. And Psycho was 1960. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, Rear Window, 54. Ah. So we got the lineage of Rear Window to North by Northwest to Psycho. So just a little bit of context there. This is the third and final Hitchcock movie on this list, which is weird because I know he's got tons of movies that are considered classics. Yep. So, I don't know. I'm kind of curious what makes these three better than Vertigo or The Birds or whatever, you know? Yeah, that's probably a fair question to ask. I think we should look into maybe watching those two and doing a little B-plot. Yeah, love it. Great idea. This particular movie starts off with a busy businessman being very busy. Yes. He's on the streets of New York. New York City. Telling his uh, administrative assistant. Maggie. Maggie. Oh, could catch on the name. I did not catch it. Is this, does she come up again? No. She's just rocking on? Yeah. Maggie. He's telling Maggie his business for the day and everything that needs to be done. And, I don't know, seems like a pretty... Pretty quick, witty guy, you know? And Maggie can give it right back. She's worked with him for a while, I'd imagine. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) He's making some plans for the day, which end up not being very important. And he arrives at a bar to meet with some friends. And this is where the whole plot kicks off. And I feel like it's so convenient that it's kind of silly. But what goes down is that he's at this bar, and he is just having a drink with some pals, and the waiter is walking around calling for the person named Kaplan. He's saying, is there George Kaplan around here? And uh, alongside this is when our main character, Thornhill, decides to try and make a telegraph. So he hops up and says, oh, waiter, and flags him down in between calls for Kaplan. And then this spurs these two uh, mercenary types, you know, goons to think, oh, that's Kaplan. The guy's calling for Kaplan. That guy stood up. That's Kaplan, which is a ridiculously convenient kind of spur to action or whatever. But off of this one coincidence, they kidnap this dude, throw him in a car and bring him to a mansion. Yes, the Townsend mansion. He gets interrogated by someone who claims to be Townsend. And I really liked in the parlor that there was some good camera work. We watch them from above. Then it takes you on the same level as Thornhill. And there's shots from the ground up. And I think the camera work here is really good. Because it makes it seem very tense. Kind of like the room spinning. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. It's The camera moves around so much and it's just entertaining to watch as it does so. I do think that this whole scene on a plot level kind of bugs me because 
I feel like such a misconception should be pretty easy to clear up with enough questioning and clarification. Like, hey man, you are literally staking my life on a guess from these two guys you weren't even there to verify. It, there should be something to be done, but he keeps saying, like, I'm not Kaplan. And they're like, sure you aren't. And he's like, I have IDs. And they say, oh, Townsend and the kidnappers say, oh, you you have good IDs, don't you? They give you good IDs. So they're up to some weird chicanery. Something's going on. Something's going on. And uh, then I kind of like how they wrap up the scene by forcing a bunch of booze down his neck. You like that? Yeah, because at first I thought, this is weird. Why don't they just give him some sort of drug that makes him woozy and say, oh, this is our woozy drug or whatever. And then that'll be all they really need to do in the movie. But they bust out booze. And my thought was, why booze? And then we see in the next scene that after they dump a bunch of bourbon down his neck, he's totally hammered and they were going to send him off a cliff. So pretty good choice. I don't know. Did you not like... Did you think it was a bad idea or did you not like the plot choice to use booze to dispose of them? No, I thought it was fine. It seemed like something you'd have on hand. Oh, yeah. Just having a bunch of... But it turns out to be secret booze later on. Secret booze. Secret. Um, Secret. Cool. Yeah, we we segue right into a scene that I thought was pretty cool uh, where he is drunk and manages to get his wits about him enough to chase a guy out of the car and starts driving away totally plastered. Yep. And just the... We see so many close-ups of Thornhill's face where he's just totally drunk and the guy acting, being drunk, is kind of funny and... Carry something. Uh, Cary Grant? Cary Grant, thank you. Yes. But good sequence. No complaints from me. Nice. You did have one in particular that I remember you saying where it looks like they sped things up to make it seem more like a narrow miss than it was. Yeah, there's a... During the chase, Cary Grant's character, Thornhill, super drunk sideswipes a police vehicle and that's what gets the attention on him and he gets pulled over brought to jail and escapes Mm -hmm. but when he sideswipes that vehicle you can very clearly see just the unnaturally quick human movement and uh i don't know it's really noticeable but i suppose in 1959 it could be pretty creative to cut some frames out or run them through quicker to make it look like a close miss when really it's just Okay, we're going to drive at you kind of slow, and you get out of the way. It'll look good in the movie, you know? Yeah, so he gets picked up, and he's taken to the police station, where he tries to explain what happened, and they're like, okay, okay. You get one phone call, so he calls his mom, and he makes some comment about the sergeant being named Emil, which I didn't get. Yeah, he uses his one call to get in touch with his mom, and... A meal, I guess it's just a, what do you say, like, is that a racist joke? Like, because yeah. it's a, an Italian name or something, and they're shocked that an Italian is a cop or something? Like, I have no idea what they were getting at with it. It's just a hot, weird name. Kind of doesn't Maybe. really doesn't really hit in 2020, you know? No, it wasn't funny. But his mom does show up eventually the next morning. And she comes to bail him out, and he insists on taking everyone to the house so they can see what happened. And he shows up with some detective, 
and the lady of the house is there and she she says oh uh thornhill because they have since learned his name Mm -hmm. i can't believe you drove last night you you scamp right stuff like that like not we tried to kill you and the cops were saying oh he's found in a stolen vehicle and she's like roger (laughs) stolen we would have called you a cab yeah and they're just so simultaneously blasé about driving totally blasted and stealing a car and (laughs) they just leave and he's kind of free to go it's a two dollar fine yeah it's so bizarre like this whole beginning sequence is really convenient you know he can't argue his way out of being mistaken for a government spy and because he doesn't know that's what it is yet yeah he can't be he can't talk his way out of being mistaken for a different man Kaplan, yeah. and then the cops just totally drop suspicion even though he could bring him directly to his mansion and had familiarity with the space and everything. Yeah, like, those are some bad cops. Very bad. And then he says, well, why are we interrogating her? I didn't even see her. Let's talk to the guy. And they're like, no. Yeah. Nah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, well, shit. So they just leave. And yeah, I wonder if that was a joke or because he was tight or he had a good lawyer that the fine was $2.50. Yeah. What the hell? That's... A very light fine for DUI. And stealing a car. And then after that, he's just free to go. Yeah. Thank you for paying your fine. We will do no more investigating of your alleged murder attempt or your car thievery. Yeah. Bizarre. But I guess we got a movie to get on to. So we can't can't do a courtroom drama, you know. (laughs) We're looking at clearing uh, clearing the whole mystery. While he was being interrogated in the parlor, Thornhill learned that Kaplan was next, uh, he was somewhere downtown in a hotel, and he also learns where he's going next, where this Kaplan's going next, so he gets his mom and they go into the hotel room, well they go to the hotel, and they manage to get a key card. So ridiculously easy to get into another person's hotel room, apparently. Yeah, just send an innocent old woman up. They have a lot of conveniences like this in Hitchcock movies, like in Psycho. Just no one is suspicious in the 50s. I guess not. No one thinks like, hey, are they up to no good? It's just, oh, of course you know this person. Here's a key to his room. Yeah. It's nuts. There was, for the hotel investigative scene, because they get up in the hotel room and Thornhill starts poking around, talking with... The people that come to the room, like the maintenance workers. Uh And I thought that this was a really enjoyable scene and kind of showed some fun to watch deduction and piecing together of some of the mystery. So for as blunt and poorly explored, I guess I would say, most of the investigation has been done by the cops up to this point. Thornhill is kind of, you know, he's an ad executive and he's getting to the bottom of this. So (laughs) seeing this stuff is, is fun and Of course, the stakes are fairly high at this point because we're in some quote-unquote enemy territory. So definitely felt tense the whole time. Uh, What else? I wrote down a quote. I'm being followed. Oh, that's when he gets in the... uh, I jumped ahead, sir. When he gets in the uh, taxi. Oh. But he gets a call in his hotel room. Well, it's not his hotel room. In uh, Kaplan's hotel room. Mm -hmm. Sorry. He gets a call to Kaplan's phone. 
And this just further makes people believe that he is Kaplan because he answers it, which is dumb. Because we established at this point that Kaplan has not answered his phone for days. And he has not been seen for days. So now Thornhill, already accused of being Kaplan, is going to dig himself into a bigger hole by answering this phone in Kaplan's room. Seemed like a really dumb move to me. Yeah, he doesn't make all the smart moves, but he's the hero of this story. I guess that lends a lot of uh, enjoyability, or believability at least. Yeah. You know, it's a crazy situation. He's figuring it out. Yeah, he's not James Bond. Yeah, no infallibility from old uh, Roger Thornhill. Roger Thornhill. Okay, so the men that we saw earlier that kidnapped him from the restaurant are saying they're in the lobby, so he and his mom go to the hotel elevators and you made a good point take the stairs they're going to be coming up on the elevator and we see him get in with a bunch of other people and the two men get out of the elevator go into the one he's in and they're all going down and he asks are you gonna kill me or whatever well the mom says you aren't really gonna kill my son oh right sorry no and the whole elevator laughs bizarre very bizarre stuff Uh, And then Thornhill pulls a pretty slick move. He says, oh, ladies first. And then he runs out and he steals a taxi. And he asks them to go to the United Nations because he found a picture of the United Nations in Kaplan's hotel room. Yes. And the wife at the Townsend Mansion, which I guess was earlier in the day, said that, oh, my husband, Mr. Townsend, is... Speaking to the General Assembly today. Right. And what I want to point out here and what stuck out... Oh, hey, I just looked at our list and Vertigo is on this list. Oh, dang. So we have got at least one more. We're going to watch <laughs> uh, <Oops>. But <laughs> he runs out and these people chase him. Mm-hmm. They are also running out of the hotel room. So in full view of his mother, the people he said are chasing him physically chase him. <laughs> and she's still... I guess she doesn't really show up in the rest of the movie, but, you know, who cares? Must have been like, oh, shit, my son wasn't lying. Yeah. Also, that actress and Cary Grant looked very similar in ages for people who are supposed to play mother and son. Yes. This is prevalent throughout Hitchcock movies so far, the ages. I feel, I wonder if this is a thing back in the 50s, because the only exposure to the 50s I've had so far in movies are things from this list. Yeah. And I feel like we always get this this main heroic dude character, and I think that they are trying to pass them off as these uh, tough, sexy, young guys, you know, that are just suave and charming. But then when we watch these movies, it's like, that dude is late 50s. This yeah. is creepy. He's a creep. You uh, looked up the ages. Yeah, who's 54? Yeah, and then the uh, female love interest. Who comes in later? She's 34. 34? Yeah. Ugh. Anyhow, we'll get there. So he goes to the General Assembly building at the UN. Mm-hmm. Who does he find? He finds the real Lester Townsend. Yes. And Not who he's expecting at all. No, this is a much different looking man. And his wife is dead. Yeah, I forgot about that little tidbit, but... As soon as things get uh, closer to clarification, he gets assassinated by a throwing knife (laughs) from across this very crowded room. And it's a huge knife. (laughs) 
There is a dead center in his spine. Killing him instantly. And as he falls to his death, Thornhill wraps him up in his arms and grabs the hilt of the knife. (laughs) It's like, what are you doing? Just back up immediately and it would have been fine. But no. Uh, He makes sure he gets a great photo op of him looking like he's stabbing this uh, UN speaker. Yeah. And then he runs out. There's this really cool shot of him fleeing the UN building Mm -hmm. from way up high. And it's this small shadow of him running down this very stark white uh, sidewalk between two big fields of grass to a car. Mm -hmm. It's just such a cool image that really stuck out to me. Uh, So there is, again, cool camera work in this movie. Very cool camera work. There's a, a tracking shot, I think is the term, later on, where... It's a scene with the the biplane, and he's running, and we kind of follow him and move around. So it's it's a really, what would the phrase be? Dynamic? It's a dynamic yeah. camera. Things are going nuts. It's cool to see. Very cool to see. So after he runs out of the United Nations building, we cut to an intelligence agency, and we find out that Kaplan doesn't actually exist. Yeah, it's a desk full of uh, middle to, middle-aged to old white people. Discussing this Thornhill guy. Intelligence officers. Yes. So Kaplan is a cover for a real agent that they have. And they would let Thornhill die to protect this agent. Because he's become a convenience to get... I only assume the Russians. I'm not sure we ever caught who they were. Off his tail. Yeah, the they named them as Van Damme and his men at this point. Yeah. But we never find out what he's up to he's just got something cold war because this is to the climax but um they have that weird little statue that they bought at an auction and it's filled with camera film microfilm and i don't know i guess it's (laughs) compromising pictures of the president or something i don't know (laughs) who was president in the 50s carter i don't know Mm. i won't even go there i have no idea okay let's see president should we assume that the movie events take place in, in 1959? Yeah. Okay. The president in 59. Eisenhower. Oh. So some very sexy and scandalous pictures of Eisenhower. Probably Truman, because Truman had... No, LBJ had the penis. Yes. <laughs> Think all of them have had penises so well, far. Well, <laughs> hey oh. LBJ. 2020, let's go. AOC. <laughs> I'm writing in. Oh. So. <laughs> Will they know what AOC means? Um. Did you have to do the full name? Nah. It's all about the symbol. Okay. It's just symbology. <laughs> Where were we? We were talking about these old people discussing murder, these intelligence officers, and then we cut to the train station. Which... Which one? The, oh yeah, he flees to uh, Grand Central Station in New York City. New York City. And this was a big pop, big big confirmed laugh because he is wearing sunglasses and goes to try to get tickets and he gets questioned about his sunglasses. I'm like, well, what's with the glasses? And he's like, it's for my eyes. What's wrong with your eyes? It's like, it's sensitive to questions. <laughs> like, damn, dude, rude. Especially when you're 
pictures all over the newspapers for murdering. Yeah, someone got a very opportune photograph of him yeah. stabbing. It was basically one of those things where it's the shot from the movie of him looking suspicious, and that is the photo yeah. that became the New York Post um, or the New York Times photo, I guess. Yeah. I don't, know, that, I don't know other examples of that, but I hate it when that happens in movies. Like Harry the, Potter. Yeah. Whenever the media in in universe, like newspapers or new or the news, shows a clip that you just watched as being filmed in the movie, <laughs> I hate that. It's an immediate immersion breaker. Really? Okay. It, it kind of seems like it, it's a tool that people would use to make it seem as though you are in the universe and spectating these things, sure. but it just fails. In okay, my I can see that. Or maybe they're not doing that. I don't know. Do you have any strong opinions about these throwaway things? No, I think it's really funny how worked up you are. (laughs) Well, I better never see it again. So, he gets on a train. He kind of stows away. Oh, did we say that the station man called the cops? No. Because he recognized the photo? Yeah, that's a good call out. Recognizes the photo and calls cops on him. And he basically forces his way onto a train and escapes the cops in this manner. Which seems impossible because mm-hmm. they just let the train go. <laughs> like what? Well, they uh, just let the train. No, the cops get on the train, and the lady helps him hide and tells them that he probably got off. And then they get off, and then the train goes. Oh, okay. So it's another. Le- At the very least, it's convenient that they yeah, trust this one person. Convenience. It just seems like uh, in any sane world that train would not leave the station until they found him but here they're just like oh thanks lady see a train off to chicago you go oh the reason he's going to chicago is because he got a list of hotels that kaplan was going to be going to and he needs to find kaplan to clear his name yes so we're on this train with this blonde lady who is this blonde lady so he gets on the train This lady helps him hide from the cops, and he sees her again in the dining cart, and he gets seated next to her to dine. And we find out that she paid the steward five (laughs) dollars, more than he paid for a drunk driving ticket, mind you, to have him (laughs) sit with her. And what follows is the most forceful, forward flirting that I have ever seen on film. And this is all with her believing he is a murderer. Yes. Because he tries to lie about why he's on the run. And she's like, no, I saw you in the paper. I know you murdered that guy. Mm-hmm. And she says that after being like, come to my bedroom. I only have one bed. Uh, you know, fish isn't all I want to eat tonight. Things like that. Pretty sure that's a line in the movie. <laughs> Shouldn't that be Thornhill's line? <laughs> well, we don't... Woo! <laughs> okay. So they end up leaving, and she hides... Well, they end up leaving because detectives get on the plane, or train. The automobile. <laughs> they get on the train, and she hides him in her cabin. And the cops come, and they question her, and she's ride or die. And she says, he probably got off the train again. Or if he was here, I certainly didn't see him. 
Yada yada. These are different cups. They don't know it's the same lady lion. Also, this is Eve Kendall. Oh, that's where the And she's from. 26. Eve Kendall, 26. And she's down to clown. And I also just realized it's not fair for me to say she believes he's a murderer and wants to get with him. Mm -hmm. Because we realize that she is in cahoots with uh, the Van Damme. She goes up to the train car, the like some other cabin, and says, Oh, I'll keep him till morning. And so she was just being so forward and flirtatious and forceful with him because he, she did not want the cops to get him. She wanted Van Damme to get them. We also learned that she's a double agent, essentially. I, you do not like it when I go along with the mystique of the movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you do sorry. not know she's a double agent at this point. <laughs> we don't learn she's working for Van Damme. Well, yeah, they're on the train. <laughs> There's a scene where she is in a car with Van Damme, and she says to him, He's over in my cabin. We're going to have to set up rules for this about what level of mystery we maintain. So, uh, after she comes back uh, from meeting directly with Van Damme and explaining that she has this guy in her cabin, uh, they reach the Chicago train station after spending a night together. Sexually. Sexually. And he didn't bring pajamas. No, he did not. It didn't plan for and this trip at all. It comes up twice. There's a very tiny razor in the bathroom. Yeah, he takes that into the Chicago train station. We get a gag out of him trying to shave with it. Yeah. It's like, damn. It's weird to me that people are just in bathrooms and train stations desperately shaving because being bearded was so bad uh, that they would shave with that tiny little thing. Also, dudes hanging out in the train station bathroom with straight razors. Imagine that, bringing yeah. a straight razor on some mode of travel. Gonna go Taught on me? Yeah, no thanks. No thanks. So, um, what happens here is... She leaves him a note that she never wants to see him again. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah well, I wrote down note of betrayal. Note of betrayal. They He goes to the hotel... He steals the bad man's clothes, he pays him for them, and he escapes the train that way. Okay. And then he goes to the hotel in Chicago mm -hmm. to find Kaplan. And he does not find Kaplan. You but skipped he... the plane scene. I thought, okay, because I didn't know how he got out there. Because he's out in the prairie. Uh-huh. But he got tipped off to go there by someone. And I thought he went to the hotel and found... Eve there and then interrogated her again and she gave him that tip? Or did I misremember that? No, they st well, he wants to see her again. I don't think that she really gives him a tip at this point. How does he end up in the prairie? He's trying to get to the next spot, I think. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter too much, but he was definitely told directly uh, meet at this location uh like, get off the bus at this stop and wait for Kaplan. He'll find you at 3 p.m. or whatever. Um, so somehow that happens. And now he's in a prairie at this bus stop. And, he's in uh, a cornfield. Yeah. Cornfield, field, prairie, big open space. You know. A lot of terms. A lot of ways to skin that cat. <laughs> I'm going to keep calling it a prairie. Please don't. So he's I'm out there... 
you, okay, there are, there are very specific mammals in each of these scenarios. There are prairie dogs, and then there are corn dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to take 50% of the credit for that joke, because <laughs> me calling it a prairie was a setup, and, uh, you know, you're welcome. You're welcome for that setup. That's a great execution. <laughs> So he's in a corn dog territory. <laughs> may or may not have been muskrats slinging around. And he's just talking with some local yokels, some good old cornfield bumpkins. And they're saying, like, what's weird about that plane is that it's not crop dust in any crops. There's no crops over there. And then that guy leaves. Maybe it's not a cornfield then. Maybe I'm wrong if there are any crops. Well, there it is. He's in. Oh, he hides in corn. There's <laughs> corn present. It's just most of it is gone, and then there's weird little patches of corn. Mm, yeah, it's like late summer. Yeah, the the crop has been harvested, and he starts getting chased by this plane. Yes. And this is the iconic scene, or a iconic. One, yeah. And this is also what I was referring to with the cool camera stuff. Yeah. You know, it kind of moves, and it's very steady. Uh, but it's crazy to think it wasn't steady cam. It was just someone holding this thing really smoothly. Like, as they ran, it wasn't like, oh, you know, oh. like trying to keep up with the actor and like carry a camera. Like, not found footage, shaky cam style. Yeah, they, they shot it super solidly. I wonder how they did it, if Probably. they set up a little dolly or something. Maybe. Yeah, I think they had stuff like that, because... If you see some behind-the-scenes stuff of, like, Kubrick films, you'll see some pretty wacky setups. Yeah. So they must have had some kind of wacky setup. Yeah. So he gets chased around a couple times. He gets shot at with a machine gun. From the plane. From the plane. Uh, how, does this, how does this scene culminate, Jenny? It's quite a spectacular sight. It culminates with him trying to get to a truck, and the plane just crashes into the dang thing. <laughs> And it explodes. And this prompts some yokels to pull up and watch. Local yokels, yeah. Local yokels. And they're looking at the plane. The fire. Now Um, it's a fire, yeah. Yeah, it's a fire now. And Thornhill slowly backs up while they move toward the carnage. And he steals the farmer's truck. Yeah. And I wonder... Which has a giant fridge in the back. Something, something strapped in the back. Icebox, back then. Yeah, that's true. Did we watch that together? Yeah, the history of refrigeration. We're very cool people. (laughs) (laughs) So he steals a truck, and then he gets to a hotel, possibly again. Yes. (laughs) I guess I could pull... We have the movie for another 24 hours, but I don't care enough. (laughs) I just... That's fine. Believe you. He's at an auction, and... There's a, I think it's a setup because they're trying to auction off the microfilm thing to Van Damme to make it seem like a legitimate thing, but he keeps trying to interrupt because I think he's trying to get attention. Yeah. So as I recall, he meets with Eve mm-hmm. in her hotel room prior to this because mm-hmm. he spots her at the hotel yes. and they argue. Um, Classic. Just They argue like a, a guy and a dame might. And then they go to this auction, 
and I forget the exact specifics, but this dude basically tries to be a, a hero and get Eve out of there, but he doesn't understand the situation, and she tells him to leave, and then he starts to get cornered by those two henchmen goons. Yes. Uh, and then that's when he makes a scene pretty cleverly uh, to get arrested and mm-hmm. get away from the goons. So, you know, there's a and... mix of good ideas and terrible ideas by Thornhill. And this when he this is when he's really vitriolic to Eve. Yeah, he's mean as hell. Mean as hell. You have no feelings to hurt. And you can see the actress being all teary eyed. Yeah. Because she does have feelings Eve cares. I forget let's see, he gets arrested. Yeah, he gets picked up, not killed. Not killed. He gets picked up by some cops. And I have the next thing that they're at the airport. Or an airfield, and he's talking with that other agent, and the agent's trying to explain that Eve is actually an agent. Oh, yeah, because while he's in the cop car, he says, hey, I'm this guy. I'm the murderer. Yeah. And then the cops get a call, like, oh, really? And they diverge. And he's like, take me to the station. I'm the murderer. Brought to meet with this intelligence guy. This was a really weird scene because there was... Solid seconds of just them trying to talk over very loud engine sounds. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> like, they... What was... Am I forgetting a secret? Or did they explain what was in this little troll thing that was bought at auction? Microfilm. Yeah, because <laughs> they're walking and then walk in front of the jet. And then after that, they're, the guy says, oh, And Eve is an agent. So they weren't covering up that secret. Yeah. They're... <laughs> Like, oh, they're just like, dang, this jet. Anyway, <laughs> the dangers of walking in an airfield, I guess. They go to Mount Rushmore. Oh, maybe yeah. this is like a version of when the main character whispers and mumbles, and then that's them explaining the plan. Maybe this is when the intelligence officer explains this Mount Rushmore plan to Thornhill. I don't know. I have it no idea. It didn't play well no and it didn't come up later so they go to mount rushmore which is crazy because my mom blindsided me a little bit before we watched this movie with if i could recall who's on mount rushmore without looking it up yeah i couldn't because that's useless bullshit that's not how i do my taxes that's four dead guys that's four (laughs) dead white guys i'm (laughs) shit about on a stolen mountain stolen mountain so fuck it but anyway it's washington jefferson Lincoln and Roosevelt. Yes, I could not name all four myself. I actually said Hamilton was on it, so wow. I'll out myself there. Proud of you for being that. Very ignorant of. That's the ten dollar founding father. With no father. And he was never president. It's true. Never gonna be president now. He died. That's one less thing to worry about. One less thing to worry about. So they make a deal for Eve. Because Van Damme shows up to get the troll doll or yeah, something. Yeah, the microfilm. And Eve comes with, and Thornhill says, Ah, you gotta protect her. Uh, or give me her or something. Yeah, he wants the girl. And then they get in a big argument. I forget about what. And Eve shoots Thornhill. Well, the he like grabs her, and he's like, You're coming with me. And he's like, I hate you, nasty man. Oh, yeah. And then shoots him out of rage. 
Yeah, but which is mystery. Yes. Because okay. we're... I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because the next scene reveals that it was blanks. Yo. <laughs> no guns. Uh, Thornhill's okay. Thornhill is okay. Although, from what I understand, it is incredibly dangerous to be shot with a blank <laughs> that close. Yeah, it could kill you. That's how Bruce Lee's son died. Yes. So, on the set of The Crow. Yep. <laughs> this will help. This podcast will improve your movie trivia score by at least one point at some time. <laughs> That's a guarantee. <laughs> That's the rookie movie reviews guarantee. <laughs> I drew a little picture of this next scene. Can I see it? Where they're standing in the oh, woods. Oh, that's really good. Thank you. I just thought it was so cool looking and so well framed. They meet in the woods after the shooting in the Mount Rushmore restaurant, I guess, uh, to have a little reconvening moment of the two lovers. But yeah, they're just standing on opposite sides of the screen, which is weird. I feel like you don't have that kind of shot where two characters are on either side unless you're in the climactic showdown or yeah. something like that. And then all the trees in between go from the very top to the very bottom of the screen. So the the shot is so bizarrely segmented and it makes characters look so far apart, I guess. it's a, It was a really neat shot. I, I liked it quite a bit. So they kiss. They've made up. Yeah. But she has to go with Van Damme. She's the secret agent. You she know? must. She must. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next I have... um. He's... Is it a hospital or is it... Yeah, he's brought to the hospital to maintain the cover of him being shot. Oh, right. So, thank you. Then he gets brought closed by the same old man, but he's locked into the room. And he can't leave. But... He's like, I'm going to have a shit ton of bourbon. Let's get a quart of bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, give me some bourbon. And then the guy says, I'll join you. Better make it a quart. Better get like a whole bottle. And that's kind of disappointing. I thought that when they liquored him up real good, because they already established Thornhill as a sot at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, his mother smells his breath and stuff. So I thought that they were going to force feed him a bunch of alcohol and then have him be relatively fine. But he just was totally plastered. It would have been funny if he had a daring escape. Um, but didn't happen. Oh well. Anyhow. When we rewrite this movie and yeah. reshoot it, we'll fix up some of the stuff. A fan edit of North by Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> so he escapes the hospital in a daring fashion. He does. Climbers out the window. In his new clothes. Yeah. And then... Uh, we see him at the lodge. Yeah, he just gets to the lodge. Shows up at the lodge. And I'm pretty sure all he knew at this point, or all he was told, was that Van Damme has a place up there near the monument. Yeah. And then he this walks there from a hospital. Astounding. Yeah. He must have been a Boy Scout in school. He's a great wayfinder. <laughs> and very full of endurance because he... How far was that? What? Yeah, what the hell? He climbs, at the very least, seem, he climbs to the top. Didn't seem to take that long. He wasn't out of breath or anything. Oh, and it was still the same night. And then he scales the side of the house. Yeah, which was kind of funny and kind of cool. It, I kind of expected that it would, because he sneaks up and he's going to save Eve, right? Yeah. 
but he looks up at the balcony mm -hmm. that he has to get to, and I would kind of expect it to cut to him like climbing over the railing, but we see him climb all the way up the wall. <laughs> it's like just to show he could. It it reminds me of um, the cleanup scene from the murder in Psycho. Yeah, it's like we're really watching everything that makes this happen sometimes, mm -hmm. but other times not. Like we don't see any journey to the lodge, but we spend. 30 seconds to watch him climb a wall. It's weird. The priorities are weird. Uh, in any case, he breaks into Eve's room just as she leaves uh, the room and then spies on him a bit. Well, doesn't he learn from before he gets into her room that Van Damme and his associate have now learned that the gun is full of blanks? Oh, yeah, the associate, who we have not commented on. No. But this guy is a creepy looking dude. Creepy, yeah. He's a very good henchman. A roast chicken for you, goon. <laughs> That's a reference to last podcast on the left. Mm, yes, goon. So he realizes that she's in danger. They're going to kill her or confront her or something about the gun. They're going to kill her. They're going to kill her. They're going to drop her off the plane. Oh, yeah. They've devised to just murder her over the ocean. Yes. And he's got to stop it. He is, because he loves her. He does. So sweet. <laughs> so tall, Imagine guy. being such a simp that you're willing to go through all of this <laughs> after sleeping with her one Roger, time. Roger Thornhill is a simp. That's <laughs> <laughs> a steaming take. Uh, he throws a matchbook with a little note written. With, um, I think it, the where the matchbook was from... Was the train? I think it was the train. Okay. I didn't catch that, but it was very significant to her that she noticed where it was from. Yeah. Uh, and he writes on the top of the matchbook, they're on to you. I'm in your room. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, he throws it down, totally misses. And she was like looking the other way, which is just another yakety sax type moment. <laughs> From this movie. Surprised the Benny Hill theme song didn't start playing at any point. Chase each other through the lodge. Right. Uh, just opening doors, running through the hallway. <laughs> the lanky guys like looking both ways as they run behind them. But, <laughs> um, I thought the matchbook, for as silly of a plan as it was, it's pretty tense. Yeah. Because the lanky henchman hands it to her, not knowing the significance of where it's from. Stupid bitch. Yeah. And uh, then she comes up and meets she with them. She says, oh, I forgot my earrings. Yeah, and I forget what they talk about up in the bedroom. Just like, they're going to kill you. Yeah. Leonard knows the gun is full of blanks. Don't get on the plane. Yes, okay. Whatever you do, don't get on the plane. And then they leave to go get on the plane because she's kind of yeah. rocking a hard place. But what I thought was really cool in the next scene was the housekeeper stays behind. Yes. And he's trying to sneak down, and she sees his reflection in the TV and catches him and has him at gunpoint, which is the gun full of blanks. But the same silly gun. The same silly gun. But, I don't know, it's just small stuff like that that shows that we're watching an actual dude and not a trained super spy. Yeah. There are things where he effortlessly scales walls and later a monument and stuff. That's like, okay, he's not your average ad exec, but, you know, sometimes he makes little blunders. Mm -hmm. Little bungles that he has to get out of, which I liked. Yeah. 
But yeah, now we're kind of in the climactic yeah, conclusion. You want to run us through? Yeah, I'll take us home. So they're at the airfield, and he, um, he he comes, he comes to save wow. Eve. <laughs> yeah, you like that dramatic tension? Yes. They accidentally break the figure, shows off the microfilm, and a chase ensues, mm-hmm. and they end up on the face of Mount Rushmore. Because they're running from the henchmen and they get to the cliff's edge. That cliff is George Washington's face. So they begin scaling down and the two henchmen had tried to flank them. So they're trying to climb down the other faces of the presidents. And it, I don't know, it, it's pretty tense. And he almost gets stabbed. Yeah. Uh, Thornhill almost gets stabs, stabbed and then he ends up tossing the guy off the mountain. And, well, he kind of gets tossed, and he's trying to catch Eve, and he's like, for God's sake, help me find your humanity, because he had caught her, and his hand was on. Yeah, they, well, the they toss one henchman over the cliff, uh-huh. and we see the Hitchcock fall. Yeah, that's true, Hitchcock fall. And then the lanky guy, and before you wrap it up, I just want to point out how... This is another ridiculous moment because we see a clip of the lanky henchman trying to catch up and he is literally hanging by his fingertips from a section of the monument that curves inward so he has nothing to put his feet on and he's just dangling and then he falls like a dozen feet. It was basically twice his height and he falls onto a cliff and it looks incredibly painful and then he runs across two other monuments uh, to get there in time for this scene. Yes. Uh, which was nuts. These people are a mix of incompetent and superhuman. And I wish it would just stick with the relatively incompetent. You know, that makes a interesting movie. And anytime they fail is when it's like fun consequences to watch. Yeah. But So anyhow. this is, yeah, it's pretty dramatic. Uh, I think the movie is mostly set up. Like, hey, Eve's going to be good. The microfilm has been discovered. Thornhill's getting his hand stepped on. And there's a shot. And then suddenly Thornhill's pulling Eve up. And he's magically pulling her up onto a train bed. Yeah. And then the movie ends. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, they allude to the fact that they're married. Yes, he calls her Mrs. Thornhill. Which... The ending honestly leaves a sour taste in my mouth. A very strange ending. I, I don't, don't like. I didn't it. like the ending at all. Yeah. Um, everything else, I I really, like I said, I liked the characters working their way out of their own mistakes, and it felt pretty tense and enjoyable to watch. Like all the plot was kind of wild, and there mm-hmm. were a lot of conveniences, but it was neat. Um. I guess as far as criticisms, the ending is super bad. Super bad. And when the conveniences happen, they are incredibly convenient. You really have to suspend all of your disbelief yeah. to watch the movie. It's supposed to be a spy movie, but he ends up being more like Mr. Bean. <laughs> it's it's a James Bond background with a dash of Mr. Bean seasoning. Yeah. Bean seasoning. It's some bean season. Perfect. What did you, um, what were your highlights, you know, for the It's kind of like Escape from New York, 
but it's the 50s, so it has those tropes instead of 80s tropes. Oh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Just, you know, you got your got your uh, femme fatale, as you put it, which mm-hmm. is a really good way of putting it. And that's then... The, that's the trope. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did a really good job of identifying the trope. So, yeah, I'm so mixed on it, because I'm not in love with the movie, but I don't... There's nothing about it I hate or really dislike. No. I don't know. Do you have a do you have major beef, you know, with anything in it? It's too long. Yeah, it's over two hours. It's too long to end the way it did. <laughs> <laughs> it it was unjust that it ended that way. Um, I feel yeah, there's stuff they could have cut out, like thirty second wall scaling scenes or Slowly standing in an elevator while your mom cracks a joke. I don't know. Or, yeah, I mean... Could have been differently bundled up. It's tough for me to get a resolute opinion. There's a lot of inference in the last five minutes of the movie. Yeah, and either it's me being an inattentive watcher or the movie failed at actually explaining what the stakes are. Like, the stakes, the main stake is this guy's life is being ruined. Mm-hmm. But, wh- like, why is it being ruined? Who are these people? Yeah. Why, and the fact that what are they trying to learn? Ends up trying to become an agent. Like, is, is he going to go back to New York and everyone still recognizes him for being the front page murderer? Yeah, they can't just hand wave that shit away. <laughs> and if, it's always problematic The relationship formation in this movie is just it's silly get get uh, a pretty girl in the arms of our stud main guy you know at any cost there's no way that but that having him love her is the reason he's like fine i'll be an agent yeah so which is weird i wonder this seems like a type of movie that has uh, a series of very bad sequels that everyone forgot about yeah, definitely. Like, oh, this is when Thornhill is actually an agent, and we <coughs> all have thirty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, <laughs> this one had like ninety eight. I would not go that high. That's pretty high. Anyhow, do you have any closing thoughts, or do you want to rate this puppy? I feel like these movies are so easy to go through quickly because the plot is so over the place, and it's, it's easy wild. to find highlights and pluck them out. Yeah, and I did say, and I still stand by, that this is my favorite Hitchcock that we've watched so far. I'd agree. We'll see how Vertigo is. Yeah. Or Birds. Birds. All right, you want to, do you have any big beef? Just, uh, you know, your subpar romance development and your subpar plot conveniences at times. (laughs) Everything else, I mean, it's funny and it's pretty enjoyable to watch, a little long in the tooth. Yeah. All right, on three? Yeah. One, two, three, seven? Seven. seven. Yeah. All cool. right. Yeah, it's all right. It I, feel, I feel like seven is such a middle-of-the-road rating, but these are these are established good movies. Yeah. So seven. I get Yeah, seven. All right. Well. Listen to our socials right now. RMR underscore podcast on Twitter. Rookie movie review at Gmail. RookieMovieReviews.com or Rookie Movie Review on Facebook.
Perfect. Reach out to us on all of these platforms at the same time. If you dare. <laughs> if you dare. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.